0: It is Monday, December 5th, 2022, and welcome to episode 158 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that usually gets you up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. However, today and for the rest of the week, we have a special treat for you. Last week, the Fault Lines team was on the ground at the Reagan National Defense Forum, a.k.a. RNDF a yearly meeting of national security, defense, and foreign policy experts out in Simi Valley at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. We had the opportunity to interview a number of guests and experts, and this week we'll be sharing our conversations with you. So buckle up. It's just me this week as Les and Jamil take the week off. And please don't mind the background noise. It was a lively studio at RNDF. Today, we are honored to be joined by Michigan's eighth congressional representative, Representative Alyssa Slacken. Prior to being elected to Congress in 2018, she worked at the CIA as a Middle East analyst and served three tours in Iraq. She also has held numerous defense and intel positions under President Bush and President Obama, including roles at the White House and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Directly before being elected to Congress, Rep Slotkin also served as Acting Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Affairs. So let's get this started. So before we get to policy questions, uh first I'd like to ask you a little bit about your background. As many in the audience know you served in the intelligence community. Um, I gotta be honest, I tried to find the number of former Intel community folks serving in Congress. I couldn't yeah. find that number. Yeah. I know there's more. Yes. And there's obviously military folks as former military, you know, how do you think your Intel background, you know? Um, factors into your role as a representative in the legislature? And, you know, how do you try to get your constituents interested in national security if you do try to get them interested Mm -hmm. so that's something they care about and maybe even vote accordingly? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So uh, my belief is right now in the 117th, there are three of us who are former CIA. Certainly myself and Abigail Spamberger Mm -hmm. are the two on the Democratic side, and there's one on the Republican side. Um, Incoming Congress, I think... I don't think have any CIA, but, um, to be, to to be continued. Um, you know, I think, you know, as a member of Congress who has a national security background, I'm always trying to find the Venn diagram of where my national security life overlaps with my Michigan life and where that tends to happen are on things that affect people's lives. So, You know, lots of people at this conference are talking about microchips and supply chain issues and bringing manufacturing, you know, out of places like China or Taiwan. And um, I have two big auto plants and a bunch of auto suppliers, and they've been on again, off again, working, not working for 18 months because we can't get a 14 cent microchip. So chips are a bread and butter issue in Michigan. Supply chain is a bread and butter issue. Um, So it's not hard to get people engaged on those issues. They're going to engage me. I have people literally yell like chips. Chips. Get us chips, <laughs> chips, chips, chips. At events. which
0: no one ever would have said yes. in five years. No chips,
1: right, right. So, supply chain issues are, are bread and butter. Um, cybersecurity, mm. just because civilians are on the front lines, and so um, Michigan just came in. We're, we're the second most targeted state in the country, and in my district, every single school district in my in my district mm. has been ransomed. Um, almost every hospital. Um how do you think they're, that is? they're hitting softer targets that don't have good cybersecurity, mm-hmm. that have personal data that can be ransomed successfully for money. And um I'm not saying they're all international actors, mm-hmm. of course not. But um if you ask the average person, they are worried about their kids' data, their data, um they don't know how to protect themselves, they don't know what the nine one one call looks like if they if there is a cyber attack. So that is definitely um uh front of mind for folks. Um, and then, um, uh, I think, you know, in general where our economy's going, um, is, you know, it may be thought of as just an economic issue, but I think for a lot of people knowing that the the future of work and that their kids are going to have opportunities is how we, and maintaining a strong middle-class is how we're able to engage successfully in the world, if we're not, if we're concentrated on looking inward, we can't actually project outward well. So all it's not those that things. It's
0: the scary things that bring people to learn more about it. And yes, get Ukraine got
1: it. a lot of people. We have a lot of Ukrainian Michiganders I was ask about that. Um, Ukraine, you can go to like rural Michigan mm. and see the Ukrainian flag flying. Um, so there's definitely a lot of support mm. um, and a lot of empathy. I will say, um, though, coming from a republican leading district, a lot of concern about, you know, what what is the end game. Um, and that's hard to describe. No. Um, so those are all issues that are relevant in, in my district.
0: Um, one of the themes here at RNDF is great power competition. And in particular, everyone's talking about China. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've you know, brought up that China is one of the things that keeps you awake at night. You know, Where do you think the competition between the U.S. and China sits now? Where do you see it moving into the future?
1: I think that um, my biggest concern about China right now is that we don't have a whole of nation approach to our approach to China. Mm. So you have a lot of folks here in particular who are very focused on the military threat. Mm. And I've been to so many war games and so many you know, classified and unclassified. Mm. We've done a ton of thinking about this, but it's really from a military perspective. Then you can go to, you know, the people who care about commerce. You can go to the people who care about energy. You can go and, and everyone's got their different silo mm. that they're thinking about China and there's not one comprehensive approach. And any war game now, any, any, um, thinking about China, you have to include the private sector, Mm -hmm. right? Look at how the private sector reacted when Russia invaded Ukraine. Like who could have ever guessed without requirement or direction, you know, McDonald's and American express Mm -hmm. and PayPal and everybody pulled out or at least suspended their operations. That's a dramatic impact of the invasion that, I want incorporated into our thinking about China, right? Cause talk about, talk about an exponentially more important role, mm-hmm. you know, the private sector in a China scenario. I mean, it's like mutually assured economic destruction, right? right? That's what I call it. So, um, so my big concern is that we have these, um, uh, silos of excellence as we call them at the Pentagon and we don't mix them. Um, and I think that that mixing is important. So for instance, if you look at it, from a very uh, military perspective, uh, you know, I am concerned that over the next five to eight years, we have a period of vulnerability. They've been, you know, investing very heavily in their military advantages that are built to undercut our advantages. Um, but at the same time, if you know, when I do a trip with uh, or a visit with the secretary of agriculture, he's like, Alyssa, they depend on us for 30 percent of their food. And, you know, who goes to war with a country that provides 30% of their food? So it's, we need to balance all those perspectives. And um, um, certainly I do not want war with China. Um, no one in their right mind wants war with China. And the Chinese people are amazing. And I think definitely, like every other people in the world, want to be free. Um, but strength, you know, peace, we're at the Reagan Center, right? <laughs> peace through strength. And, and... Uh, I think that's um, our task for the next, certainly next five years. So how
0: do we get there? How do we get this whole government approach and you know, specifically, you're in Congress. Mm-hmm. What, what is
1: Congress going to do about this? Or what can they do? Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. I, I, I think we have to wait to see it play out, but I have heard mm-hmm. that the Republicans are considering mm-hmm. starting up a new China um, uh, committee, yeah. um, which would purposely um, take the issue and elevate it out mm-hmm. of just all these different committee portfolios. I think that'd be great. Um, and come at this from that whole of nation approach or at least whole of Congress. <laughs> um, and, um, um, and then I think, um, you know, putting some pressure on the administration, um, to think more in a more well-rounded way. So for instance, every time I have one of these war games, I'm like, where is the department of Homeland security? Why are they not here? You know, we're, we're, and you you, they need to be pushed. And, you know, the Congress's mm-hmm. job is to push a bit. Um, and so I think we've been trying to see, could we require that exercises mm-hmm. be done in a whole of government way? Could we bring in know, more stick? You don't want to you don't want to have to do that. But if we if we have to, we will. Um, and then just making sure that there's resources available for the capabilities we need to invest in.
0: I think it's a really interesting point bringing up, you know, how do you start to, pre- I don't know if the right words, prepare, but talk to the private sector. I mean, they're already, you know, obviously we're just surrounded by innovation, innovative and tech tech companies who are working on technologies. Yep. They're essential to our defense industrial base and the like. But, you know, for example, the YouTubes and the Facebooks that mm-hmm. also took action when Russia invaded Ukraine. How do we start to have a dialogue with them? So they're, it's not just an ad hoc, yes. oh, they're just taking action on their own. There's no. Right. And I'm sure there's conversations happening that I'm unaware of, I hopefully. Don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but how do you start to have that dialogue ahead of time so if something were to happen, it's not a mad scramble, right? Yeah,
1: I do think that I'm a big believer in, like, tabletop exercises, scenario planning, war games, whatever you want to call them. Because, I mean, I would love to bring in, I have two GM plants in my district, right? So bringing in GM and wa- and, and walking them through mm-hmm. these scenarios and here's what would happen and here's step one and step mm-hmm. two. I just want to see their reaction, the you know, wait. and they're thinking about their supply chain. They're thinking about their supply routes, mm-hmm. right? Transportation. Um, they're thinking about their relationships. I, I think... It's it actually. I don't think is helpful for the government to guess how the private sector would react. Right. I think they need to be brought into the room, and if that means giving them clearances or whatever mm-hmm. we need to do, I think I'm I'm super interested in that um, because in my mind, if you're the Chinese government, you're looking at Ukraine and you're like, how would that private sector response play out for us? Right. It's so much more complicated, but. Uh, so we should be doing that same planning. So I just, just bring them in, um, and then you can let the private sector do their thing once they've been exposed to so sort of that some of the mm-hmm. scenarios. What's well, so funny, we actually, as
0: a team at NSI, were talking okay. about doing tabletops for, like, a supply chain. Big if time. a crisis were to break out, do it. what What does happen, right? right? These exercises, to your point, are happening in other lines of effort. Yeah. Why would you not do it on right. this? Um, and then speaking about, Ru- I mean, Russia, you know, we we saw China and Russia talk about, you know, no limits partnership, you know, Club, you know, relationship earlier this fall. I mean, what do you make of that? How do, you know, how does that change how we think about both? Whether are there actual limits to, to their, you know, where they see working together in the future?
1: I, you know, look, I, I think that um, we d- we don't know right now, but I, I'm, I'm, I do think that China has smartly been like, let's just <laughs> see here, right? Yes, sure, partnership is fine, but. Um, you know, no one likes to partner up with with a loser um, and no one likes to get themselves stuck in the entanglements of their partners. So I, I don't really know what that's going to look like. Certainly, energy will be a big issue. I mean, you know, the, the energy um, uh, that China needs and that Russia has, I think, is the space that I'm watching. Um, but, um, I, you know, I think uh, the the Chinese have been Chinese government have been so effective at really getting into places like the Middle East and Africa um, and kind of eating our lunch in terms of providing these like cheaper options mm-hmm. to these governments um, that, um, you know, they're they're not going to go and do something that hampers their ability to project that economic power across mm-hmm. the world. So I I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to say it was just portatory. Yeah. They need energy. Right. But I'm not, I'm not feeling like the Chinese are falling over backwards to, to be besties with Vladimir Putin right now. And then
0: from your vantage point, what do you see happening in Ukraine next year?
1: Well look, I think um and lots of like I said, lots of my constituents are asking this question Mm -hmm. and every time I I get that question at a door you know a a door that I've knocked, I just say we need them to be in the best possible military position so that when the Ukrainians decide um that you know they want to have a conversation, a negotiation, they are doing it from a point of leverage. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be a foreign policy nerd to understand that you are better off in a negotiation when you have leverage and when you've had some success. So we have underestimated the Ukrainians from the very beginning. Um, everyone says like winter, we're going to have this big pot. Like, I I don't know. I mean, um, if I'm the Ukrainians take advantage of the, the Russians, maybe not able to do as much in the winter and try to, so I want them to be more and more successful. And then Zelensky and the Ukrainian people are going to have to decide how long they they want to keep on fighting, at what pace, um, and until they make some of those decisions, our job is to support them. And then beyond the topics we've covered, you know, what else are you,
0: what's on your plate uh, in 2023? New, new Congress coming in. What what priorities are you looking at?
1: So I think um, I'm super interested in this whole of nation approach to <laughs> China and um, taking uh, a stand back look at what we need to be doing from a legislative perspective, so that's certainly going to be on the agenda. I continue to be super interested in cyber and mm-hmm. cyber policy, which is really, um, like I saw Senator Angus King here, and we talked about some collaboration we want to do mm-hmm. on cyber policy. Um, and, um uh, a quick aside, do you think, I feel like everyone talked about, we had the
0: ransomware attacks, we had SolarWind, that was like huge, and I feel like everyone on the Hill was like, oh, we need to get a little smarter on this. Do you, and this could be my completely wrong sense with, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and really not seeing the kind of cyber attacks we all predicted, it's kind of fallen a little off the wayside and the attention's shifted a bit. So you're trying to draw attention back to, I think things
1: could. Well, I mean, look, like I said, if every single K through 12 school has had their children's data ransomed in my district, you can imagine the, the sort of popular concern Mm -hmm. about this and, um, yes, we had those solar winds and mm-hmm. we had all these terrible attacks, but those things didn't affect, you know, my constituents. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm worried about a really high profile cyber attack. Like I said, a cyber 911 mm-hmm. that like wakes people out of their. It's, it's kind of like, the, you know, I feel like we've had the USS Cole mm-hmm. and that was the, the colonial pipeline or, you know, one of those, like we know it's bad. People now know the word ransomware. They know it. Um, but I feel like we haven't had our nine 11. I hope we never have it, but I, I think, um, we need to do more on preparedness and educating the public, um, yeah. in our cyber training that we get any job you have where it's just, you
0: click the buttons and do your
1: windows and you're no. done in 20 minutes. No. no, that's not enough. No. And I think we're going to swiftly move to a time where, um, like cyber hygiene is going to be you know, if you have good cyber hygiene as a business, you're going to get more customers. And if you don't, people aren't going to go with you. We just have to figure out a way to do like a certified, organic Mm -hmm. certified cyber clean. And then,
0: um, one of the questions that we ask everyone, it's that time of year. Uh, so, uh, We always have a holiday party at all lines and we ask Uh all of our experts, you know, what is, what do you think will be the biggest national security challenge threat in 2023? And so it's funny, some people, like last year, people, Russia, Ukraine, Taiwan, and then, you know, one of our experts was like food scarcity. So it can really, you know, run the gamut. So what do you, what would you say?
1: I mean, I I don't think we've seen the end of countries being fundamentally destabilized because of inflation and and, uh, food prices. And so like I obviously we saw like uh, uh, Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the grain deal is holding with Ukraine right now. But I I think that um, that if inflation continues to to stay really high and food prices stay really high, there's you know, there's sort of a short list in my mind of countries that could be fundamentally destabilized.
0: And that's a wrap. Thanks to Gabriel Otis and Brooke Agacon from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us tomorrow as we talk with Dr. Nadia Shadlow, who was most recently U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategy. And always, thanks for tuning in to Fault Lines, our podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America.